You probably are familiar with the concept of a sequel. That seems like every movie out there that's out nowadays is a sequel. You know, you have a movie that everybody likes with a character everybody likes or a story everybody likes. And so you make another movie that, that tells us the rest of this person's story. You know, we, we see sequels all in all of the superhero movies nowadays seem like are, are, are one sequel after another. But it isn't just, you know, the new modern superhero movies. We saw it with Star Wars, you know, and then we saw it with The Godfather, and we saw it with, back in the 80s, there were like 50 Rocky movies. There's another Rocky movie that came out every other day, it seemed like. We saw it with Rambo movies. We've seen it all throughout pop culture. A good story, a good character that everybody likes. You keep, you keep telling the story. You keep telling what happens. But it's not just movies. I mean, you know, we had movies like James Bond that did the same thing, but it isn't just movies. Think about books. You know, the Chronicles of Narnia. One after another, the central character of Aslan. We see it uh, with Sherlock Holmes back in the 1800s. You know, there's always been a concept of a popular character or a popular story, a popular plot, that we keep telling more about it. So those are, that's what sequels are. You may, may or may not be as familiar with the concept of a prequel. A prequel would be the origin story of that original character. So the prequel will say, well, spoiler alert, Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. So the first three Star Wars movies, I hope I didn't ruin that surprise for any of y'all. You know, if we meet Darth Vader in the fourth Star Wars, well, episodes one, two, three are about telling us how Anakin became Darth Vader. You know, we see, we see the Godfather 2, was both a sequel and a prequel, because it's the second, but it goes back and shows how Vito Corleone became the Godfather. You know what I mean? We, we see this all over pop culture, but it isn't just in movies. Like I said, it's in books. Narnia had sequels, and everybody loved Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, A Prince and His Boy, Prince Caspian, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, all these great books of Narnia. The first book of the first Narnia book is book number one called The Magician's Nephew. Ironically, that was the last book that Lewis wrote. Lewis wrote the other books first. Everybody said, wow, great stories of Narnia. How did it get there? The first book, The Magician's Nephew, C.S. Lewis wrote later in his life to explain how <coughs> Narnia got there. It was a prequel to that beloved story. You know Paul. Paul in the New Testament is a towering figure. Everyone knows Paul. Paul is amazing. Paul wrote, it seems like, half the New Testament. Paul went all over the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, telling folks about Jesus. Paul wrote so much. Paul wrote Romans, the first book of theology. Paul's a giant. Paul is brave. We read the book of Acts. The, the book of Acts tells all about Paul's amazing ministry and all that Paul did. And there's so many things that just, just blow you away about how awesome and dynamic Paul is. I mean, I tell people one of my favorite stories is Paul's preaching one day. They didn't receive his message well, so they took him outside the town, beat him up, and left him for dead. The next day, he went back into town to preach again. Okay, like, if y'all take me outside of church today and beat me up and leave me for dead, I ain't coming back. 
okay? Y'all need to call the DS. Tell her we need a new one. I'll take that as a negative criticism of my ministry and just move on back to Bogachetta. No harm, no foul. But I ain't coming back, okay? Paul did that. Went back the very next day and preached the gospel again. Paul is a towering figure of faith. The book of Acts, chapter 9, tells of his conversion. Well, today in Galatians, we saw the prequel. We saw how Paul became Paul. He tells about his conversion a little bit, but, that, but that's not the thing that fascinates me about, about what we read today. The thing that fascinates me is this. Paul says, after this happened, went to Arabia. And for three years... I didn't see anyone. For three years I went off and I prayed. I didn't see Peter, Cephas, or any of the other apostles. But I went off by myself. And the Lord showed me this gospel that I now preach. Before Paul became Paul, Before Paul became this towering figure that changed the course of the world. Before all this happened, Paul took time to go off by himself and be fully present before God. And have God reveal himself to him. Part of Paul's story. Part of Paul's story was that Paul took that time to be fully present with God. Paul took that time to be alone with God, to seek God through prayer, through reading, through listening, through discernment. Paul took that time. And y'all, you don't accidentally take time with God. It doesn't just magically happen. You've got to make a choice. You've got to be fully present in that and make that decision because so often we expect our time with God to fit into existing schedules or expect our time with God to find it and we don't plan for it, we don't account for it, and then it doesn't happen. Paul understood that before his story could be complete, Paul understood that before his story could be written, but Paul understood that before his story was completing God, he had to first take that time apart with God. His story was not complete. His story was not finished apart from that time that he purposely chose to spend with God. He didn't walk into town. I might have done this. Hey, y'all, I just got saved. Let me tell you what Jesus did. He didn't do that. For three years, off, prayed, saw the Lord's face. The Lord confirmed something huge in him when he took that time apart with God. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not good at that. I'm really not good at that. I get too busy. I get too worked up. I get to all over the place. 
You know those snicker bar commercials where somebody's in a bad mood or doing something dumb and the friend says, here, eat this, and they turn back into themselves? That's how I am when I'm not praying. And I, got, I, I went through a season last month or two, probably still in a little bit, where I just got so busy, got so busy, that I was not able to um, spend, I chose, no, it wasn't accidental. I let other things take priority over my prayer time with God. I'm just going to be honest. I let other things take priority. I let myself get too busy and do too much, and I chose to prioritize other things over my time with God. And I was getting short with my wife and other people. I was getting stressed out, and I was quickly becoming no good to God nor man. And so in the middle of all this, I was doing a revival in Wiggins. You're thinking, my goodness, Andy, you're already that busy and you're already that short. Why are you, now you're off preaching a revival? It's the best thing that ever happened for me for a while because I was in the middle of nowhere. The people that helped me for the revival put me in a cabin out by the river with no phone and no internet and no TV and no nothing. And for four days, it was just me and God. It was just me and his word. You know how it is on a hot summer's day when it rains? And you're driving down the street and you, you can see the steam just coming off the road. You know what I'm talking about? That's how my soul felt. That's how my soul felt when I was with God. I just felt the steam rising off of my soul. I just felt all the stuff just, just, just rising off my soul as I put everything else aside and just in that time and just in that season was present before God. My story had gotten out of hand. My life had gotten so busy. I had neglected the only thing that truly mattered. And for me, it wasn't until I had, honestly, until I had no other choice <laughs> that I sat before God and became fully myself again. Because I had let the demands, the scheduling, the probleming of this world overwhelm my story. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten to be a good steward of my presence. I'd forgotten to be a good steward of my prayers. I'd let these other things that seemed so urgent and so important dictate to me what was truly important and what truly mattered. And in that, I was losing my story. To be a good steward is not simply to be a good steward of your financial resources, to be a good steward uh, of these type of things. But to be a good steward is to be faithful with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And just like Paul, just like Paul, before Paul's story could be complete, before Paul's story could be finished, before Paul could become Paul, the first thing Paul had to do was take that time to be present before God in prayer to be present before God in reflection, to be present before God in study, to be fully present. Paul could not serve. Paul could not lead. Paul could not be Paul before he first was faithful with those prayers, before he was faithful with that presence. That defined everything. And see, here's the thing. 
Here's the thing. What sin longs to do, what this world longs to do is to keep us from being fully present with God. That's all the stuff that we're fighting against and pushing against and and working against. By the way, not all are bad things, but they all pull us away from God. And so to be present before God is always a choice. It is not accidental. It is not incidental, but it's always a choice. Because everything is going to pull us back from that. Think back to the garden when Adam and Eve fell, when they ate the fruit they shouldn't have eaten. Scripture says that before they ate the fruit, the word says that, they, that God walked with them in the cool of the evening. Well, after they ate the fruit, Scripture says God comes looking for them. And what did they do? They hid. They hid from his presence. That's what life does. That's what sin does, is it makes you want to pull back from God. It makes you want to hide from his presence. It makes you want to stay out of his presence. In fact, the very thing you need, the very thing that redeems you, the very thing that restores you is your presence with God. Sin tells us you're not good enough. Sin tells you, you failed. Sin says, you can't measure up. Sin says, you're unworthy. Where God says, you are my beloved. And yes, you messed up, but I love you more. Yes, you're imperfect, but I love you more. When we come into God's presence, we don't find judgment, we find grace. And the world and sin tells us, oh, God doesn't love you. Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you can't measure up. And God is saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The very thing our souls need, the very thing our souls desire is that presence. And that's often the first thing we cut off from our schedule when we get busy. That's often the first thing we sacrifice is the very thing that our souls need. When you go to the Holy Land, one of of my favorite places are these steps that go up to the old temple. It's called the teaching steps. In Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin where the Pharisees and Sadducees taught, were above the wall. And these steps kind of of went up next to it. And so what happened in Jesus' day was if you were a teacher, you would come and you would teach on these teaching steps. And so if you were teaching wrong doctrine, the Pharisees and Sadducees would correct you from up, up on top, and then all your followers would be there listening to you. So these teaching steps were where every rabbi would come to teach from. Jesus, uh, this is one of those places that we know, 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 that we know Jesus was there. Like we know for 100% fact, Jesus stood on those steps. We know it. He gave a very loving and encouraging sermon to the Sadducees when he called them a bunch of snakes one time. So a very, very tender sermon he gave the religious leaders. Um, so he, we know he was there. One day in the late 60s, early 70s, Neil Armstrong was taking a tour of the Holy Land, the prime minister of Israel. They were standing there beside the teaching steps and Neil Armstrong looked at the prime minister and said, do we know for sure that Jesus stood there. Prime Minister said, yes, we do. He said, and that would be the most important place that I've ever stood. 
your most important place is to be fully present before God. Nothing else compares. We're Kansas City's taking a risk. We're taking a risk this year, y'all. We're going to trust you. In your pews, there are these magazines. If you did not grab one last week, or if you got one left in your pew, I want you to take one home with you. I want you to read over this. And on page 15, I want you to fill out the spiritual gift inventory. Because we want you to serve where your spiritual gifts want you to be. We want you to serve out of your calling, serve out of your purpose. We want you to serve God out of these things. So we want you to take this, this, this annual report home and pray over it. Fill out the spiritual gift inventory and serve where you're, where you're, where you're gifted. Next week, we're going to give out our commitment cards. Don't fill it out next Sunday. Take it home and pray over it. Sincerely lay it before God. Don't tell the finance committee. Don't tell. If you pray about this and the Lord tells you not to give a dime to this church, don't give a dime to this church. Okay? I don't want us to serve out of obligation. I don't want us to give out of obligation. I want us to give because it's part of our story. I want us to give because it matters. I want us to give and serve because God's life is found in these things. And our story is not complete until our story is part of God's story. So we want you to pray over these cards next week when you get them. And today during the altar call, on the altar... There's all these different tiles here. I want you to come grab one. This is yours to keep forever and ever. Amen. This tile represents your story. We just want you to take this and take it home with you and keep it. And to be reminded of your part in the mosaic of St. Matthew's. Your part in the mosaic of God's kingdom. Pray, keep this. This is yours. Pray over it. On Commitment Sunday, end of the month. We're going to come. We're going to lay our cards on the altar if we we feel called to. And then we're going to take another piece, not this one, but another piece. And we're going to lay it on a cross out in the narthex. And we're going to have this cross made to paint a mosaic. Y'all, your story matters. Your story is part of our story. Our story at St. Matthew's is not complete apart from your story. Your story is what makes our story complete. So during the altar call today, we want you to come take one of these. and Just take it home with you. It's a reminder. It's a reminder to find your story in the midst of God's story. And over the course of this month, as you pray, as you look at these, as you remember, as you pray about where God wants you to serve, what God wants you to give, where God wants you to be. And by the way, if you're, if you're a guest here today, we're thankful you're here with us. And we'd love to talk to you about being part of our story at St. Matthew's. But if you're just randomly here on a Sunday and you're part of your home church, pray about what you need to be doing in your home church. Your story matters. Your story matters. Paul understood first, though, but for his story to be complete, he had to find his place in God's presence. Today, Will you come be complete in God's story? Will you come 
and find your story in his. Let's pray.